Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Thank you for listening to Law Talks. Before you listen in to this episode, we wanted to let you know that this is one of our first attempts at creating the podcast. And as a result, it lacks the audio quality and cohesion that the later episodes have. We've kept it unchanged as the content is invaluable and very much worth a listen. We hope you'll stick around and check out and listen in to our more recent episodes too. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Law Talks. This episode focuses on different routes possible to qualify as a barrister. Today we'll be joined by Fazila Ishmael, where we'll learn about Fazila's journey to becoming a barrister. Fazila was first called to the bar in 2018 and previously worked with Citizens Advice, something we will hear more about in the interview. So we were wondering, did you study a conversion course or did you study law at university? So I studied law with American law at the University of Nottingham. And that meant that in my third year, I studied, I went abroad to, the, to America and I was studying at the University of Connecticut. So during that year, I also completed a master's degree in US legal studies. Um, so I was working at a law firm and I taught at an American high school as well during that year. And then when I came back, I finished my undergraduate law degree. That is so cool. I can't believe you did a year in America. Wow. And did a master's in that year. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a bit crazy. I was 20 at the time. And I, was, I remember sitting in a seminar with people that were 26, 28. And I definitely felt very out of place. Um, but it was, it was such a good experience, you know, to put yourself out there. And, to, and the, the amount that you learn. And the year I was there was when Trump was campaigning uh, as well. So oh that was interesting. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> So did you, just out of curiosity with, with um, going to America, so did you apply to the University of Connecticut or was it sort of a wide reaching? So I think one of the reasons why I, why I applied when I was applying to university to the University of Nottingham is because they did this year abroad programme. So uh, you, could, you could go all over. I had friends that went to Singapore, Australia, all over Europe as well. 
Yeah. And uh, the two universities that were offered for America were the University of Connecticut and the University of Texas. Um, and I went for Connecticut uh, because it was closer to New York, I thought. Um, so I thought that might be a, a really, really good experience. And I think I, I remember at the time, uh, it was that the difference between the common law system we have over here mm. and the US Constitution. And, and to see that, how the two of them were different, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to go there. Yeah, that's really very interesting, particularly just American law. Because when you're saying they're 26, is that because... I'm I'm not a huge expert on it, but they do they study law quite differently in America, don't they? It takes a lot. That's right. So yeah. it was a um, I we, the way we do it is you start with your law degree when you're 18, 19 years old. In America, it's post grad, so it means that they do four years at their college at the university, and then after that, they do a post grad, where you would come to that college when you're 24, 25. Um, so it was. And, and then it's three years within there where you're learning law. And then at the end of that three year in America, you then take the bar exam and then you're a, an attorney. Um, so it was a completely different, different uh, experience. And also I, did, I remember one of the courses that I did was, it was trial advocacy. And we've all seen, you know, American attorneys yeah. strutting around a courtroom. And I just wasn't, you know, in, in the English uh, legal system over here and when you're standing up in a courtroom, you don't move. You don't even stand up without asking permission. <laughs> so um, it was very odd. And I remember the final, the final trial that we had to do uh, at the end of the trial advocacy module was about a insurance liability case where um, the, the key issue was whether the guy had had purposefully um, killed himself so, as, so that his wife could reclaim on the insurance policy, or whether it was an accident. And it involved a shotgun. So I was strutting around a courtroom with a, a massive foam board shotgun um, in a courtroom. And it, and it just felt really surreal. I think that whole year felt very surreal. But the one thing that I, I remember coming back with was confidence that I could do this job. Because I think that's, that's something that you, it's, it, it wavers so much. You meet your confidence in yourself and your own ability to do this job and I think that's the one thing that I remember coming back from America with I, I remember thinking this is a job that I can do and I I believe that I'm good enough to, to do it perfect thank you that's it sounds like it was very worthwhile yeah very important but do you think you would ever want to go to America and practice law in America could you could you do that with your um, master's qualification? Yeah, so that that is something I thought about, and I remember when I applied for pupillage, I remember saying to myself, if I didn't if I didn't get pupillage, it was something I would consider. So when I was over there, I worked at the American Civil Liberties Union, which is a it's a civil it's a union which is concerned um, primarily about civil liberties, and and they sometimes bring court cases, so they have their own legal department. And I remember. Um, that that would that would have been one of my plans if I didn't get pupillage over here in the UK then I um, was considering going and practicing in America and the way that I could do it now if I still wanted to would be to go to America and then take the bar of whatever state that you're in so I could go and take the Connecticut bar and practice Connecticut for example or, or whichever state so that option is still there um, but I think at, at, at the moment I'm still developing my practice over here so it's still on the table that's very exciting. So just from what you said, in America, it's not like they don't have, um, is it, you're not like a national lawyer, it's per state, you have to take all the different bars. That's right. And, and it's, it's this weird system, I think, that there, the federal law exists 
um, for the whole country, but then you also have the state law underneath that. Um, and so that's why you, you, you have to get a, a license to practice in that particular state. Um, so it, it's completely different, not only in the culture, not only in the, the, the law, but it's, it's a whole different world that I don't think I fully, fully appreciated when I put in my application to go on a year abroad. <laughs> Could you just briefly cover the pathway to becoming a barrister? Because I know a lot of our listeners, like I had a couple of people ask me, like, what is the bar? So some of our listeners have like no idea. So if you could cover that, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. So so either you can do a traditional law degree or you do a degree in any other subject. If you do a degree in any other subject, you then have to take what's called the graduate diploma of law, which is called the GDL, a one year course. And that condenses the law degree really into the into the pure basics of what you need to know um, in order to pursue a career uh, as a solicitor or, or barrister. And then once you've completed either the law degree or the GDL, then you complete um, the bar course, which is the vocational element of being a barrister, that, that course, where you learn day in, day out what it means, what your job is and what you have to do as a barrister. And um, that's now called the bar practice course. And that's a, a postgraduate degree. And then after that, the next step is pupillage. So pupillage is 12 months that you are taken on at a chambers. So they, the first six months, you are shadowing another barrister on their cases and you are learning. You're fully immersed in the environment of, of going to court, of go, doing cases, prepping cases. And in the next six months, scary but exciting, you start doing your own cases. So uh, that's when you, you, you put in your name and you're putting counsel for so-and-so at the bottom of your documents. Um, and at the end of that 12 month period, that chambers will decide whether or not they want to keep you on as a tenant to continue at that chambers. Um, or So either you, at the end of pupillage, that's when you are practicing barrister. Um, so you, are, you finish your pupillage, you are able to practice, either you'll stay at that chambers or you could apply to, a, to, to be a tenant at another chambers. Um, but that's the kind of process. It, it, for me, it took about, about seven years um, it can take longer because, of course, that applying for pupillage and the, often it, it can take a couple of attempts um, round each year. So it's I would say it's probably at least seven years starting from the university. Wow. <laughs> for the long run. Yeah. So essentially, um, medicine degree. Yeah. How did you know that you wanted to become a barrister rather than a solicitor? Oh, that's a question. Uh, so I think that... In the traditional difference between a barrister and a solicitor is that a solicitor will prepare the case, do all the paperwork, and not, of course, not every case goes to goes to court. Some of the cases are settled before we get to court, and the barrister account would would get involved when that matter is going to the court. So that's preparing all the documents, um, but for the court hearing, representing the client at that hearing, it may be negotiations at, at, at court. Um, that, and I think particularly in family law advocacy is a key element because you are in court um, more or less every day on, on, on different cases and it's that element of, um, of making your client's case in court which I find um, that's what attracted me to the bar um, and also I think that it's a self-employed element because you are working for yourself and you're you know building your own profile and, and for me that's quite exciting to, to do that and so um, I think, and it's the, the blend, I think, between the intellectual side of, of getting to grips with these cases and then the advocacy element of, of 
speaking to people of all different levels in a, in a court. And then the communication element, you know, when you are, it's, being a barrister is not about, not just about standing up in a courtroom. It's also about um, sitting with your client, advising your client, speaking to people from all different levels of background. And that, that's what I find really exciting and that I like about the job. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and kind of linking to that question, but t- traditionally what I've heard is that a lot of people say being a barrister is a lot more independent than perhaps being a solicitor is. So we're just wondering um, how much of your work is, is you working alone and how much is you working with others? So I think that that question also has to have the kind of rider on it that in this pandemic, we all work in this in this really isolated way we're all working at home and I've only just started so I um I started tenancy in October 2020 so what that means is my first ever case was uh at home all the years that I was kind of planning to be a barrister you know I thought I'd get all dressed up and get on train go to court and all of this and when in fact what happened was that I had my first hearing from my bedroom so I got all dressed up and then my mum opened the front door for me, checked my bag, had made me have a sip of water, like you going through security at court. <laughs> and then I went up to my room and made submissions in front of a judge from my bedroom, which was very bizarre. Um, but it's that, so basically it's all I've known to practice in, in, this, in this remote way. And I think one of the things about the barrister's job is that you are, it's often can be quite a lonely job because you are working by yourself quite a lot of the time but what I would say is that's one of the reasons why chambers are so important because it's that network of people that you can rely upon and bring people up for for advice or even just to chat after a long day at court so I think that's really helpful um and I think that it it brings a bit bit more of a normality to the job it sometimes feels like you can you know you can feel a little bit snowed under so I think even though the majority is, is working by yourself, it's still important to have those links um, with other barristers and chambers. And of course, if we were all back at court, you would see other barristers in the advocates room at court, or you would see them on a train. Um, so it's important that you still keep those networks. Thank you, that's very, that's very insightful. On, on that note, actually, with the, um, with the chambers, just wondering at the moment, how, how is it with, in the situation with COVID? Um, keeping the network going has it been particularly difficult or it's, it's quite strange I think because um, me and my, my myself and my other co-people who've been recently taken on um, we're quite new to that environment yeah. uh, but what Chambers has been doing is they have weekly tea sessions on Zoom so Chambers tea was kind of a traditional thing that, that, that um, all these Chambers used to do every day at four o'clock they'd have tea and now that's sort of evolved to Zoom tea so <laughs> now we all sit on our on our laptops and it's just a nice opportunity to kind of de-stress about the whatever day you've had at court or catch up with other members and chambers um we've also just started a book club which hmm. has just been so lovely not to have to read court papers and <laughs> to read a, a different book which has been really nice um so there, there are still links and you know you can still ring somebody up um and they still do different initiatives to keep that connection going I completely know what you mean about um, reading something different. I mean, I'm sure Ellie's the same. I find I get so bored of reading just academic papers and stuff and actually sitting down and reading something that's not academic is so nice. So I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, and it's, it's actually a really hard thing to do because I'm so used to, you know, reading court papers in a certain way, trying to pick out all the relevant evidence and build my, build my case theory or whatever it is. 
but then I had to force myself to sit down, read the book, enjoy the book, yeah. and also for somebody just to tell me this is what you're reading, rather than me having to go and find something. That was quite useful. It was, and it was a um, the book we we just read was called Before the Coffee Gets Cold, um, and it was a Japanese book that I probably wouldn't have chosen by myself about time travel in um, in a cafe, and and it's a short read but it's something that takes you out of the of the rut of the job and I think that's probably one thing that's really important you know with working by yourself and doing the, doing this job it can be really all-encompassing you know it's it's the job of a barrister is so different to an office job you don't have standard working hours and what that means is it's so easy to get caught up in it and lose um you know lose yourself in in the job without uh, and in this pandemic that's even even more the case um so having those little things that you do uh just to just to, to have a little bit on the side it just keeps you keeps you sane i think <laughs> right now it's so funny because i completely agree but probably i'm exactly flipped because i'm studying biomed so like doing things like reading things for the podcast on law is almost like what i really enjoy because it's a break and it's not about a lab a lab or a some stuff <laughs> it's so nice <laughs> um so then for another question slightly more open-ended are there any other areas in law that you're particularly interested in other than family law so i one of the things about family law is it's so all-encompassing you know it covers so many different areas and whether that's matrimonial finance where you're looking at the, the breakdown of a family or whether it's um the care proceedings or private child proceedings it covers so much but i think one of the areas that i would like to explore a bit more is the course of protection so that, that concerns decision-making when you don't have capacity and when those decisions can be made in your best interests. And that, you know, whether those decisions are medical decisions, um, whether they are decisions about finances, what happens to your finances if you don't have capacity and where they should go, um, or, or even deprivation of liberty, so where, where you can go and, and the security, the safeguards that can be put in place uh, protect, to protect you. So... I think family law has links into other areas and through that you develop other interests and I think that the court of protection is definitely something that I'd like to look into next. Thank you. Is being a barrister what you expected and is there anything that surprised you? What I think you don't really appreciate until you're doing this job is how relentless it is and you aren't just prepping for one case, you're prepping for three or four cases you are currently think you're thinking about issues in, in different cases at a time and um, dealing with orders on one case whilst prepping um, for another one at the same time. And what that means is that you really have to love this job if you want to pursue it. You really have to love what you are doing and uh, to stay committed to doing it. Um, but what I, what I found that's really exciting is that I'm only at the start of my, my journey. You know, advocacy and examining witnesses is a skill that people develop over years right over years and years and it's exciting to see myself developing um, through starting with the bar course and learning the fundamentals and then seeing that play out in a court hearing and what I can learn from one hearing to the next hearing um, it it keeps you on your toes but seeing myself develop is really exciting and it can be really unrelenting uh, really unrelenting but seeing that development um it makes me think about what I could achieve in future in this job. And that's what I really like. It must be quite satisfying as well to see, to sort of see yourself becoming more and more and like qualifying as a barrister and just keeping going. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you learn from the good days and you also learn from the bad days. Right. So at the end of a hearing, you'll say to yourself, what can I what, what did I do well here? What could I have improved on? And you've got to keep looking forward, keep pushing forward and learn from both the good and the bad. And you develop the best that way, I think. Thank you. That's um, some fantastic advice. And just for my own curiosity, Thomas, can you like pinpoint a moment or or if there was like an, any sort of realisation of when you sort of knew that you just loved the job and it was something that you wanted to keep pursuing? Hard question, sorry. Well, that is a hard question. Um, I think it was the, one of the first few cases that I did when I secured the return of, ch- of the children. A father had abducted the children, or sorry, had not returned them after contact mm. and had kept the children for three months. Wow. Um, and we got we we went to a court hearing. I was with the mother, and we secured the return of the children to her care. And after the hearing, she said to me on the phone, "Thank you so much, Zila. You you." And I really felt that day that I'd made I'd made a change in somebody's life. Um, and it was really lovely, and it and it made me realise just how important this job is to give mm. people a voice in the courtroom when they don't have the confidence or to do so themselves, or even the the kind of understanding of how to do that for themselves. So. Um, I think that's a really important part of this job and it made me feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, thank you. That's, I mean, you, I mean, you said it yourself, but yeah, it's such big impacts on people's lives. How do you find a career in law as a woman? Because when I was doing my work experience, I, I managed to do it with a, a really lovely lady in criminal law called Sasha Kammermack and she was like saying that she, she like put herself forward for shad- like looking after me for the work experience because she wanted me to like be around like a woman in law because she found it hard when she was trying to get into it so I was just wondering if you if you have anything to say on that don't worry if you don't but just no no I, I think that's really interesting and, and it one thing I think is important to consider is that you can't just consider one protected characteristic by itself being a woman it's also um as an as a ethnic woman an Asian Caribbean background you're dealing with the situation where when I was pursuing this career I started thinking about it age 15 16 I didn't see people like me who looked like me spoke like me in this profession and that's a really big thing you know I didn't I come from a, a low-income single parent family in South London my sisters and I were the first generation to go to university we didn't know anybody who were in the barrister or even the legal profession mm. and not to not see yourself represented in the career that you want to pursue is a really it, it's a really difficult thing to overcome because then you that's when that questioning starts can I do this job am I right to do this job and it wasn't until I had done some work experience and I was 15 at the time in a local court and I was shadowing a legal advisor on a case and the barrister on that case was a Caribbean woman and she, the, her presence in that courtroom, the way she spoke, the way she held the magistrate's attention, held my attention. You know, she spoke with an accent that I recognised. She looked like me. She made me feel like if, if she can do this job, I can do this job. And that's a really powerful, really powerful thing. Um, and I say this because I think that there needs to be much more outreach. There needs to be, it shouldn't be this hard for someone like me to pursue this career. Of course, you have to be determined. You have to have that motivation, that, that, that interest in the bar, but it shouldn't be this hard to pursue that career. And so I think that 
outreach work, particularly at schools, at university levels, uh, is, is important because it's building that confidence from a younger range that you can obtain, attain this career. You know, and we're, we're getting better. There are more women in the profession. There are more women in, in family law. But as I say, you can't just look at that alone um, as gender alone. It's, it's other protected characteristics. It's, it's um, race and it's ethnicity, um, disability, all of those things. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST need to be uh, fairly represented at the bar and true in truth they're not you know in truth we have a lot more work to be doing and so I think that what it means is that um someone once said to me the confidence of a of a mediocre white man cannot be understated and I think to myself why why is that the case and I think so true yeah yeah and I think partly it's because that confidence comes from seeing other people do you look just like them doing that job yeah there's no, there's no feeling of imposter syndrome because they feel like they belong, they already belong. Yeah. Whereas I'm constantly struggling with the feeling that I feel like I don't belong. You know, imposter and, syndrome is a difficult one. I, I, I mean, I've definitely experienced that in my time at UCL. I've had times where I've been like, oh my gosh, I'm not clever enough to be here. Yeah, I can just so imagine. It, it's really inspirational to hear you be like, just take yeah. a step back and be like, you know what? No, I do belong here. I've worked hard to get here, mm-hmm. and I'm good at what I do. Um. Yeah. But you know what it is, and, and, I, and I don't say this, every day is, you know, every day is a, um, a learning day. I'm learning and I, I can see that, that development in myself. And you've got to take knocks, you do, and you don't feel confident every day. But I have to believe that, that people like me can, can do this job and do this job well. And I, and I truly do believe that. And I think that it's important for um, kids that are you know, in primary school, it's important for them to know what the job of a barrister is. You know, people don't know what, what all they see is the wig and the gown and that's it. They think that's, that's what the job is. And, and, and there's so much more to that. And I think that it's, it's representation at all levels is so important. And if that's one thing that I can try and change as a junior barrister, as I progress, I think that's important as well. Massively. So I just wish that I had... When I was, I remember being, you know, 17, 18 in sixth form and not seeing someone, I wish I'd met someone like me who'd said, you can do this, right? Yeah. I, I, I wish that I had, and at that time, this was, um, two, and not even that long, I mean, it's 10, 10 years ago, you know, 2010, 2011. Um, and it, and there just was, you know, no one, no one came to my school and did a speech about what being a barrister is. Mm. Um, and the one woman that did in year 13 was a, um, she was a woman, but she was a white Posh, posh lady yeah. so I didn't I didn't identify with that um and so I found that quite difficult but 
I, and that's why I think it's important now that we that, that we get in and we do all these like mock trial workshops or teaching somebody what a day in the life of a barrister is and um but yeah I, I think it, it's something that I struggle with all the time so I, I I hope that at least I've given you a little bit of confidence that we can do this <laughs> no thank you so much so I think you've touched on this because you were talking about the how like your job keeps you on your toes and stuff but what is the most challenging aspect of your job so I, I think that's that's the answer it's the unpredictability you know some days you think that you might know know what's the, the issues are going to be in the case and then you get asked something by the judge that you have you don't have instructions on or that you don't know the answer to and the best thing you can do in that case is to take is to take a breather take a moment and um, collect your thoughts have you got instructions have you got can you answer that case and if it answer that question and if you can't what are your options ask the judge for a bit more time um ask to speak to your client for example um and so it's that unpredictability that you've got to you've got to learn to be comfortable with it's something that i'm still learning and will always keep learning i'm sure um and what some somebody quite senior said to me the other day was the more you progress as a barrister the more difficult the cases get and what and what we mean by that is that every day is a learning day you know there's no there's no uh, kind of a, what's the word, stationary. You, you, don't, you don't become stationary in this job. You're constantly kept on your toes and learning something new. And that can be really exciting. That, that's really exciting to see the different issues develop and, what, and where you want to progress. But it can be really daunting. And that's what I think I struggle with. When you're in a panic and your, or your instructions have changed at the last minute, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes back to what we were talking about with the network. So I had an issue this week on one of my cases where... Um, something quite unexpected happened and I just rang somebody uh, a couple of minutes before and just said this has happened what do I do and having that s- support or just saying well I think I should do this is that the right thing to do yeah. it, it, it just get, helps you and bolsters you a little bit um, so I think that's the most challenging aspect but it's also the most exciting aspect that, that unpredictability of it all so just just from the interest because um, you said earlier so does, did that make your the second six months of the pupillage um, is, I'm assuming that's when things you first start getting like lots of unpredictable things and you're on your own would I mean did you feel like you were stressed out a lot of the time or was it just such an exciting something that you yeah I think that, that so that uh, you go in stages you know so in the weeks before you start you um, you start you feel sometimes you feel quite ready for it all you feel like you know I've got I've, I've, I've learned quite a lot I've been spent years preparing for this I feel like I'm ready for my first case and sometimes some days you you honestly don't feel like you don't have a clue but I had a really really good third six supervisor and so she would she helped prep my case she read my documents beforehand we talked about the issues we spoke after the hearing before the hearing as well and in that way I still felt like I was very prepared and very sure um and I think the judge also was a little bit kind to me because she knew it was my first case too. Um, so that was really, it was really nice. And I, I felt like I was supported to progress to that next level. And that's the important thing about, about that second six months of pupillage. You are still getting support from your supervisor and support from, um, they're still looking, helping, helping you with your, with your cases. Um, and even now, if I have an issue with my cases, I still feel like I could go back to other members of chambers to help me out on, on, on different issues so I still feel like that support is there and it gets you up to that next level because it's really daunting it's really daunting to 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 do that but 
and as I say you go between levels of daunting or excited or daunting or excited um, and it's just about manage, managing that and, and some days you feel more prepared than others um, but you still have that support network there. Nice to hear that it's not just like you're not just chucked into the deep end and sort of there, there's an element of that but I think you at least you know where you're going when you you yeah. know you're going into the, into the swimming pool and not off a cliff somewhere yeah. <laughs> what advice have you received during your training that you found most useful I guess that kind of links to what you were just saying yeah and, and, and I think that a lot of things are thrown at you during pupillage during the bar course during your 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 time at university lots of things are thrown your way and you often you, you can't see the wood for the trees because especially some of the care cases that you that you'll you'll take on the bundles are 800 900 pages long and and that's really overwhelming when you don't know what to read and you don't know what the most important parts are and when you're starting out it's it's difficult to find what the issues are and what you could do about them and that's what I think that's the best bit of advice that um my supervisor talked to me about look through look, when you get your case what are the issues in my case what are the issues that I can resolve at today's hearing and what evidence do I need to resolve the issues in the case? And when you think about it in that way, you are, it's learning the basics. It's learning what the um, legal tests are, just covering that basis. And it means that you can see your case more clearly. And it means that when, when these, you're not kind of swayed by small red herrings that might be in the papers, for example, it helps you to kind of distill what the issues are and what you can do about them. Um, the other bit of advice that I, I received is that you've got to be resilient. And it's something that my sixth form tutor had said to us back when we were, we were still doing A-levels. Resilience is the key because this career is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. You, it takes seven years at least to, to get to that stage. And so, and there are knockbacks, you know, it's not, it's not plain sailing. And you have to learn at each of those stages from the good and the bad and it's about putting those um, steps in place in order for you to progress. So the resilience, it's, it's within you. You're, you're used to dealing with, with the knockback. So at age 15, 16, I was started um, getting that work experience going into my local courts and, and asking for work experience. Whoever would give it to me. I, I once did a, a, a week in the marketing department of a chamber. So I, that, just as a way to get yourself in. And then, so that was around school level, at university level, that's when I started to progress and you can start applying for mini pupillages because I didn't have any legal networks or anybody who was a barrister or, or anybody. I had to make those myself. So that, that involved applying to chambers, going to events and meeting with, with, with barristers and um, just, it, you know, t picking up the telephone and giving somebody a call, which I found the most daunting thing. But all, of, all, of these, all of these are all steps that you can do to apply put those steps in place for you to progress to the next level. So as I say, work experience at, at, at school level, mini pupillages at university level, marshalling you can go and do, do um, with judges, joining an inn and going to events they hold to increase advocacy. It's all about covering those basics and getting, get, being resilient so that you're prepared for the knockbacks and every door that's a no is a door closer to the yes, you know, it's a step closer to the yes. So you've got to hang on to that as well. I think that's so good to hear, especially because um, a lot of my friends at university, because we're second year summer, 
it's it's the time where everyone no matter what career they're looking at whether it's finance whether it's law whether it's you know whatever they're like I need a summer internship if I don't get a summer internship that's my career over and it's like actually it's not you can apply next year you can try and find some other unpaid work experience you know just or or even like Ellie and I doing this podcast you know you have to you have to sometimes realize that you're not yeah I don't know that's just so good for me yeah to hear, no, I no, that's, that's, about it. that's so true and also because the other thing is those back schemes and the mini pupillages they're like gold dust right they are so difficult to get but but think of the skills that you would obtain on those those doing that experience client handling research organization communication how else can you develop those skills mm. and that's and and I did door-to-door sales for one summer, you know, and that covers that, right? Like that covers organization, communication, presentation, all of those things. It's still building those skills. And, and also, for example, um, whether that is by volunteering with different charities, whether it's domestic abuse charities, citizens advice or um, different, where else, what other lens can you use to get your foot in that door to learn about the legal issues? Um, so I think you've got to think it's acknowledging of course, apply for many people to apply for back schemes, but acknowledge that, that that's quite difficult. And what else can you do? So you guys doing this podcast are well, you're engaging legal issues and engaging with the career, but in a different lens. And that's still beneficial. Thank you. <laughs> Very good to hear. So the, um, so the final question, something that I'm particularly really interested in, is how did you become involved in Citizens, citizens Advice? And how did you find the experience? So this... Citizen Advice experience, that started in my final year of university. So I had come back from America where I had done a, a working as an intern at the Civil Liberties Union. And I'd also taught constitutional law in high school for American students. I'd had this really practical experience where it was at the application of the law. I was learning all the theory, but now I wanted to talk, know how that was applied. Mm. And when I came back in my final year at university, I felt that frustration of, you know, learning. We're just learning theory again. But here are all the difficulties of that being applied in practice. And I wanted to acknowledge those practical realities. And then there was a module in, that was offered where you could volunteer with citizens advice once a week and then write a paper on a legal issue. And that immediately appealed to me mm. because that's the, that's the, the kind of the, the where you're learning the practical reality of people's lives and the implications that they have, you know, when the, the, all this legislation is, is made and, and the issues about benefits, for example, but how does that translate into people's lives? Mm. And that's what, that's why citizens advice appealed to me. What can a person actually do when they are in that situation? What, what is, what are their options? Um, and so I did this experience with citizens advice. I volunteered there once a week in the Derbyshire district's um, offices. And not only did I develop that, that skill of uh, understanding the legal issues and how, how, what you can do about them, but also the practical skills. I was so nervous about speaking on the phone to people. I had developed this irrational fear <laughs> of doing it. And I, but my, when I was volunteering, I worked on the telephone line. And that, that built that confidence of uh, listening to people's issues. Um, and you build the skills of, again, client handling, managing a database, communication, quick research skills, relaying that information to the client in a way that's accessible for them. All of those are very important for a career in law. 
but it made me understand the, the practical reality so it's all well and good saying somebody can apply for this benefit by filling out this form but the realities of that are that the form is 42 pages long and if that person doesn't have a computer or doesn't have um uh, their, their their kind of understanding of the, the of uh, english and writing skills is quite limited they need something to support with filling that out or you know or, or all of those practical concerns and that's what his advice came in so we would book appointments to help people fill out the forms to apply for certain benefits for example and that that moved through to um when i was at the end of my bar course i had a basically 18 months before i was to start pupillage and so i was offered the job at university with citizens advice to as a universal credit advisor so that role involved um, sitting on the phone line, managing a web chat service and also direct appointments face to face in job centres. And there were all issues about universal credit, whether people were eligible, how they could apply, what their calculation for universal credit would be, all of those those issues. And I, and I, I really enjoyed that role because it taught me, as I say, about the practical issues about universal credit and how that, that, uh, what the impacts what the implications are for people when they're applying, but also the practical skills of um, speaking to clients and delivering advice to them or to um, help them apply for universal credit. And it's it was and even now I still use that those skills that I've learned the the information that I've learned in my job now. So, for example, in finance cases where one of the parties is claiming universal credit, how their income will affect that claim. For example, it's information that's still very relevant. Um, I also think that it, it gives you a sense of perspective because you understand that family law is about people's lives, right? It's not, it's not just at some higher level. Family law is ultimately the difficulties that's going on in people's lives and you can't see them in isolation. And the time assistance advice, it helps you understand that people's lives are complicated. There are lots of things going on and that solving one legal issue doesn't it, you know it has impacts to every, everything else that's around the family as well and uh it's one of the one of the best experiences that, I, that i've had and has helped me progress in this career i think thank you that's yeah. such an interesting perspective i mean i've read a lot about it but i've never actually spoken to someone who who's volunteered and did you just for curiosity um on a person thing did you find it manageable doing it while while being at university was it something um it was a struggle i think but and, and that's probably that probably takes me on into one of the one of the things that's really important when you're doing this job is time management and organization so on one level i had to um balance that you know i had to i had to do that i was constantly balancing my academic study and outside and volunteering where what i wanted to do but i i found that i had it's important to have both of those because Going to citizens' advice was a break from it all, especially yeah. during the bar course. Bar course is very intense, very, uh, it's all-consuming. Mm -hmm. And one afternoon a week, going down to citizens' advice, it was, a, it was, you know, still dealing with legal issues, but in a different, through a different lens. And it was important for me to balance, balance the two. Um, and it's about managing your time and working smart, not working, not working, you know, you can spend hours in the library, whole day in the library, and then you do one hour's work. Yeah. One hour's of focused work. And it's about saying, well, now I've got three hours. I'm going to sit down and do all of this, do this particular task in three hours. And then I'm going to go home and watch Bake Off. Or yeah. what and, and it's about uh, having that structure in place, which is helpful for me. 
Yeah, no, that's that's so inspiring. I mean, I've, it's something I've struggled with. Like during sick form, I think I would definitely work long hours, but I wasn't working well. And I think it's only this year that I've really learned how to actually like leave my phone at, ho- at home if I'm going to the library and just sit down and do work. And then I can enjoy my afternoon rather than <laughs> spending the whole day. So no, that's so nice to hear. Um, Oh, but it's a, it, it honestly, it takes some time. To, I, I still struggle with it all the time. Yeah. I'll still sit there and feel like I remember I was writing my dissertation and I'd been in a library for about seven hours and I'd written one paragraph. Honestly, and you, just yeah. do. You, you, you know, you just, you just do. And it's, it's that procrastination and it's a constant struggle with, with procrastination. Yeah. And especially when you're doing this job, you don't have, you know, you don't, you don't have somebody behind your back telling you, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to work these hours. It's all, it's all on you. Yeah. And so you've got to develop that that work ethic but it has to be balanced right it has to be balanced between this is the time that I'm going to be doing my work and this is the time that I'm going to be not working um and it's even harder to manage during this lockdown phase where you know you could sit at your computer for hours on end so you've really got to be um strong in yourself and focused to manage your time properly I completely agree. Motivation during COVID in terms of uni work for me, and I'm sure it's the same for Ellie, has been uh, a mammoth task, (laughs) to be honest. The other thing is we have to acknowledge we are going through something we've never experienced before. And this is such a hard and stressful time for everybody and to have this, going through lockdown and to have that time alone with your thoughts is is quite difficult, right? Mm. Um, And especially when the work kind of dwindled during the early part of lockdown, it, it's, it's really that, that psychological space that you're in. Mm. It's a really strange one because it's not something that you're necessarily so used to. Um, so I think, yes, it's all about managing your time, but also acknowledging that it's difficult and acknowledging yeah. that this is, these are so uncertain times as well. Um, and that you can't expect too much of yourself because otherwise you're, if you work constantly, you're going to burn out. Or, you know you've, you've got to kind of have that that balance and it doesn't and learning the balance only comes from knowing when you've gone too far and going too far yeah, yeah. so for a final question do you have any top tips I think when you're pursuing this career as we as we've discussed it's a marathon not a, not a sprint there are probably three things that you've got you've got to bear in mind one I think be resilient you know you've got to remember that you from every knockback and from every win you can learn and to hold on to that when you're when you're pursuing this career secondly be authentic don't be the barrister that you or the or the lawyer that you think you should be be the lawyer that you know that you can be you know and and that and there's a difference in that because it's understanding your own ability and understanding your strengths and maximizing those to represent your client's interest the best way you can. Mm. So I think that's why being authentic is, is, is important as well. And thirdly, I mean, it's got to be hard work. You know, this career does, does require that dedication and does require that, that level of, of commitment. And so you've got to, you've got to work hard and you can't un- under, underestimate that. But as we've talked about, it's not just working hard, but working smart don't spend five hours in the library on one task when you know that you could really get it done in two hours and then you could go and enjoy your evening so it's about managing your time and working smart as well as hard 
I hope that, that that helps you. And if I can be help any, anyone along the way, then please do get in touch. Um, Honestly, thank you so much for speaking with us. Like it's been so inspiring. Thank you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.